it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight we have episode 238, and tonight we are going to answer three listener questions we got recently that are really interesting and will take us in some different directions. So we thought it would be kind of fun to talk about some things that maybe we haven't discussed before. So this would be some good learning information for you guys. So, and hopefully some fun. All right, so we'll start with the first one. So we have, hi guys, my name is Carter and I am 16 years old. I have listened to your podcast and I was wondering if you could do an episode on stock market and investing specifically for teens or young adults. Like I said, I'm only 16. Where should I start? I would love to hear your advice. Thanks. All right. So Andrew, what are your thoughts on Carter's really great question? First thing I would say, we we did an episode. It was a great interview with Shamus Madan. He, I believe he was 16 at the time when we recorded it. So was, this yep. was back in December 2021, in between IFB 214 and IFB 215, you can see that interview we did with Shamas, and there was an entire episode on exactly that topic. How can teenagers get started with investing? If I were to try to transport myself back into a 16-year-old self, I would say, what's the best way I could get engaged immediately? And how can I start to just pick a company. We we had an interview. We recorded it earlier today. People will hear it maybe a little more spaced out, but basically saying, just pick one stock, learn about it, move on, learn about it, move on, and just find things that interest you. Learn about those things and try to put your money to work in that way. I think because the logistics might be a little bit tougher when you're 16, getting that, getting that Get, getting motivated and, and inspiring yourself to take action towards investing, I think, is probably the best thing you can do. Yeah, totally. I would agree with that. And I think just stepping off the ledge and getting started at, at any age is always some of the hardest parts, but it sounds like Carter is gung-ho to do it. So I think once he, once he gets going, I think he'll, he'll, he'll do great. So I think a couple things to kind of think about with when you're starting off, especially when you're younger, uh, unfortunately, if you're under 18, 
here in the United States, you can't open a brokerage account on your own. You'd have to do it with your parents. It's called a custodial account, and it's something you can do through your parents' bank or other brokerage accounts. I did discover something interesting uh, kind of looking into this before we recorded tonight. Uh, some of the uh, brokerage apps that you can download, like Robinhood and Webull, do not offer custodial accounts. So you'd have to go through more of the air quote, old school ones like Schwab or Fidelity, which do, I know, do offer both of those abilities. And so that would be an easy way for you to get started. I think probably Andrew's idea that he suggested is find one company that you really want to invest in and just dive in. Um, It doesn't, with in today's world, with the shares that you can buy smaller portions of, it's a lot easier to get started. So if you don't have you know, $100 or $150 or whatever Google's trading at, if that's the company you, you really love and you want to try to buy some of that, then that's a, that's a great way to get started. Uh, another cool thing to kind of think about with all this is, is find things that, like Andrew was saying, that interest you, that you're excited about. Perfect example I'll use for my life. My daughter loves two things more than anything in the world besides me, of course, is uh, um, number one is Roblox. She loves that. Like, she's, she loves that game. And Disney. She loves Disney+. Plus. She loves all the shows on there. And so by me investing in those companies for her, it gets her excited about investing because she relates it to, you know, products that she really likes. And so it's it also helps prompt conversations about, the company and the business and why the, why this is great and maybe why this isn't so great and so on and so forth. And I find myself, I find my daughter actually asking me, how did Roblox do today, daddy? You know, how's, how's the stock performing or how was, you know, how was the earnings call? She actually used that word with me the other day. I was just, I almost passed out uh, like, wow. But anyway, uh, so those are, those are like, you know, if you can find something that kind of interests you, that's going to continue you to to want to learn more about it. And I think, you know, like we've talked about many times in the past, the sooner you can get started, the sooner all this can start to compound for you. But I think the, the biggest thing is to find a brokerage account that you want to open and figure out a way to start putting that money to work for you. And as far as like specific things, you know, start, start slow. Like, uh, like the interview that we had today, it was a great advice. Pick one company, learn as much as you can about it, then move on to the next company and the next company. And always remember, you do not have to swing at every pitch. So if you come across a company that you really like and you really want to buy, it's okay to dip your toe into it, but sometimes you may find things that you just don't like for whatever reason. And whether you don't like the CEO or you don't like the products that they're making, or you don't like the choices that they're making with how they're spending their money, you can always change and not buy those companies just because you've read about it or all your friends are talking about it doesn't mean you have to buy it. And so it, it, the same, same kind of rule applies to us big kids too. So um, these are all things that I think are maybe a good way to just kind of dip your toe in and get started. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card worth more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? 
lounge access, wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. I don't know if this makes me outdated because I just remember when I first started, I've talked about how I purchased just one share of Microsoft, Mm -hmm. but I specifically remember a lot of you probably have Apple iPhones. They have that app stocks app, which I Mm -hmm. believe is still a default on there. It is. So they preload like a few stock tickers. I think Apple of course is on there. Of course. Of course. (laughs) And I remember seeing those and then picking Microsoft and then every once in a while, once as soon as I bought a share, I, I was engaged. You know, I was mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm paying attention. I'm not just sitting back and eyes rolling back the back of my head anytime I hear about stocks. I'm being engaged. And then as you kind of just learn through osmosis, um, you know, maybe one day you're 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 learning about oh, this is what the company did. You know, oh, this is what an earnings call is, right? Like mm-hmm. examples like that that all starts to build and it will compound just as your wealth will compound. The sooner you start, the better it will be for you. And so I commend you. You know, I think it's fantastic that you've found this podcast and it's great that you're taking the steps to to set yourself up for a great financial future. Just remember there's steps. So you're not going to do it. I'm not. We're not going to give you a little package and you'll be able to finish it tomorrow and and that'll be it for the rest of your life it takes steps but have fun with those steps and go down the path that you find most fun and inspiring yeah amen yeah that's great advice so let's move on to the next question this one says hey andrew i've just started to dabble in investing most of my focus is on long-term investments for retirement 
Even more recently, I've started to listen to your podcast and downloaded John Bogle's Little Book of Common Sense Investing, which I'm 80% finished with. I understand and fully accept Bogle's premise that the best long-term investment is putting your money in a low-cost index fund that tracks the entire market, and that is what I'm doing with my Roth dollars. I also changed my 401k contributions from a pre-selected target date fund, which underperforms its benchmark, carried higher fees and had 40% portfolio turnover to the best available index fund offered by my company tracking the Dow. My concern is that I'm 100% invested in equities with this strategy. Bogle says, and he, he puts, I'm summarizing, to put everything in the S&P 500 and leave it forever, but doesn't that ignore asset allocation? If you were in your 30s, would you want 10 to 20% of those 401k dollars going into a bond fund, not asking for advice, just your opinion. Thanks. And this is from Kevin. So Kevin, that's a, that's a great question. So I guess, you know, I guess the way I would think about this is the, the bond allocation for me, if I was in my thirties, this is, this is what I would do again, not investing advice. This is, I guess, how I would handle it. In your 30s, you have so much longer to go that I would try to be as much allocated into equities or stocks as I possibly could so that I can benefit from those companies compounding for a longer period of time. And that would be okay with me. And especially if you're in a broad market fund, you're automatically going to get a certain percentage of asset allocation by that in that all the companies that are going to be in that fund are not going to be, they're not all going to be tech. You're going to have different companies or different sectors involved in the sector ETF or the index fund or a broad market fund. And that can help provide you with some asset allocation. It depends on how, I guess, how deep into the weeds you really want to go with some of that. I'm kind of gathering from the question that they're, they're more looking at, I want to invest in something. I want to make sure it does well, but I also want to kind of protect my downside a little bit. And so if that is more your speed, then looking at something like a bond fund would, would be okay. Uh, There is no right or wrong answer. Personal finance is personal. And so it really comes down to what, is you're comfortable with because like Warren and, and uncle Charlie like to say, we got to be able to sleep at night. And if you, if you're up all night thinking about my portfolio and that's keeping you from sleeping or getting a good night's sleep, then you need to do what, what you're comfortable with. For me, I would go with hundred percent equities until I got to a little bit older. And then I would start looking at rotating into some more, I guess, more fixed asset kind of income, assets to help offset some of the volatility that I could experience as I'm getting closer to retirement, because that's something that you want to consider. But when you're younger, you're your twenties and your thirties, I, I think going hundred percent into equities full bore, because it, it gives you that chance to compound for a longer period of time. It also gives you a chance to overcome any downturns in the market that may happen in that period of time. So it, th- there's just two, to me, there's two benefits to doing that as opposed to 
reducing some of that allocation for bond funds. But again, it really comes back to your risk tolerance and how much volatility and ups and downs that you can stomach. And that's, I guess, my thought. I'd love to hear what Andrew has to say. Well, since Kevin asked for my opinion and not my advice, I like the way he phrased that. Phrased that. <laughs> so I don't feel like I have to give all these different scenarios. So I'll just get right to it. My opinion is that in your 30s, it is better to do 100% stocks. And the reason behind it, I think, is easy to forget. And if I was a beginner and I knew nothing about the stock market, I would just tell somebody, go on Yahoo Finance, look up the S&P 500 chart, and then you can zoom out and you can see the S&P 500's price history all the way back that's right. You, you drew the line uh, with your hand. Yeah. You look back, you could you could go all the way back to like the 1920s. I mean, the stock market's been around even longer than that since the late 1800s. And you can see that there are peaks and there are valleys. It, it very much looks like a roller coaster. But the more time that you zoom out on the chart, the more you see this upward curve from the left to the right, from down to up. And so... Knowing that, you can really see that, all right, maybe in one year, the stock market really crashes after being up for so long. Maybe after two years. Maybe even there's, look, there's periods of four, five, six years where the markets hasn't recovered or just barely recovered from a big crash. But you start looking at 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, There's there's been no 20-year period where the market has not recovered from being down. If you're in your 30s, you have a 30-year time horizon, that's plenty of time to ride that roller coaster up and to the right. So that's, I think, the biggest reason why. And then the second reason is that if you think about what a, what is a bond and what is a stock, again, these are so basic, but it's really, if you can understand these basics, I think it helps you feel comfortable about not feeling like you're missing out by, by being in bonds. But a stock is ownership of a business. A bond is a loan that you give to a business. So I'll ask you, would you rather make, let's say, 4 5 6% lending your money to somebody else? Or would you rather be that business who's selling lemonade to people making 10% a year? So there, you know, there are businesses like banking where, where you, you get rich lending money, but they have a completely different system. But the vast majority of people get rich by owning businesses. And the stock market is simply a place where you can own businesses too. And that's why over the long term, it outperforms bonds because businesses create profits and then they reinvest those profits. And so it compounds. So businesses put money to work in generally in better ways than strictly borrowing money can or lending money can. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Yeah, amen. That that's that's some really good advice and I think those are those are all good things for people to listen to and uh, I like the fact that you were stating your opinion as opposed to <laughs> advice. Uh, so <laughs> and, I like it. <laughs> takes takes me off the hook. You're right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I do want to give Kevin some props for something that uh, that he noticed that I think is something that will 
that I think is a little bit of advice that I think could help people is he noticed that his target date fund was carrying higher fees and Mm -hmm. that can be a killer over a long period of time. And so find that's, that's one of the advantages of low cost index funds or ETFs is that most of these will match or duplicate the S and P 500, for example, for a much, much lower fee than you may get for other things. And you may not think, ah, you know, okay, it's 1% big deal, but that's 1% you don't have compounding for you over the next 30 years. And that can end up being tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the size of your portfolio. And that's a lot of money. And why give it to somebody when you could keep it for yourself and get the same performance from a very similar type of fund. And I'm not bashing target date funds, but I'm just saying that as a general rule, when you're looking at funds and you're trying to decide which one should I choose, uh, we had our great guest, uh, Nick Majuli, uh, just recently, and he was talking about the impact of fees uh, in his book as well as on our show. And that, is he said is probably one of the number one killers. And so that's something if you're investing in index funds, ETFs, target date funds, mutual funds, any of those kinds of things, always make sure you pay attention to the fees because chances are you can find something that is going to perform as well or better for less fees, which means it's going to save you money in the long run. So that's all something we we all love to do. Like Warren Buffett likes to say, I like to buy my stocks, you know, cheap, just like my stocks. So any any chance that you can save yourself some money here or there, it's going to help you in the long run. All right. So let's go ahead and move on to the last question. So we have, uh, hi, my name is Stash. Uh, two months ago, I decided to jump in and did everything wrong. <laughs> okay. So he downloaded RH and invested into 10 companies that I did no research on. Luckily, they have all done well, but I discovered your podcast and want to take a different approach now that I've got my toes wet and have learned so much from you. My question is regarding my 401k versus a brokerage or Roth IRA account. I'm 45, have 50k and a 10% matched 401k from my company that he contributes 8,000 a year. Looking at the returns, it seems similar to other funds, but some other research, the fees seem rather high fees again. Um, From what you have taught me about compounding interest, this worries me, and I would hate to lose the match, but I'm wondering if it would be better for me to switch from my Robinhood to Fidelity if I should throttle back my 401k contributions and focus some of my money into value investing on my own into dividend value companies. I would love to hear both of your opinions. Thank you for what you do. I've learned so much. So, Andrew, uh, I love Stash's uh, question here. So, what are your thoughts on the match in a 401k versus brokerage account and, and some of the other fun stuff you put in here. Totally. I, I like where your head's at stash. I think it's a really good idea to think about compounding the long term, the, the problem with fees and all of that. That's all very good to think of. I think the match is the best because the match is a 100% return on your money. Did, did he say what percentage uh, they match? He just said it's a 10% matched 401 Okay. All right. So I'm assuming that probably means t- up to 10% of your income you can contribute and whatever up to 10% they will match. Yep. So if they're matching one for one, that's a 100% return on your money instantly. 
if they're matching even like where you get a 50% return where it's like two to one, you put in two, they put in one, that's a 50% return. You're not going to get a hundred percent return, a 50% return in the stock market, even if you're Warren Buffett. Mm-hmm. Like you can't do that year after year after year after year. It's impossible. Nobody's done it. So yes, the fees will hurt you over the long term, but the fees are such a small percentage when you compare it to this 100% or 50% gain from the match. So it's almost like you got to take take the take the paper cuts that come with the hassle of a much bigger pile of cash because taking money on your own, you got to go and, and try to earn a return from it. Putting it into a match, you get that money easily, no effort. And it's just a great benefit that employers will offer. And it's one of those things. It's like, I don't know a better place to make money as an employee than, than doing that. So uh, uh, let me ask you a couple of questions if I could. So what are your thoughts on, I guess, throttling back the 401k and putting money into an individual brokerage account? So let's just say for hypothetical, let's say that he's still contributing enough to get his 10% match, but then instead of going beyond that, then maybe what, what, what would your thoughts be if he did that and then invested some into his brokerage account? Uh, you know, on a standalone basis and kind of followed dividend value companies and kind of went down that path. So if I was coming to you and I said, Hey, I'm going to contribute up to my match, but I want to, I want to put an extra $500 a month into a Roth IRA. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's exactly, I love that idea. And that's exactly what I did when I first started out. Um, when I worked for an employer who offered the match, it was, let me get all the way up to the match. And then anything after that you put into an IRA account, like a Roth IRA account is a perfect example. And that's a great place to put any stocks in because those can grow either tax deferred or tax free, depending on which IRA account you use. So I think, yeah, that's, that's another great way to avoid a lot of the fees and some taxes that, that come out of not utilizing all of the tools in your arsenal. One of the, basic frameworks for personal finance. And this is something that could could be very useful for a lot of people if they followed it. Be Step one, you make a small emergency fund. It could be something like $1,000 like Dave Ramsey recommends. Step two would be contribute to your 401k all the way up to the match. And then step three would be a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA that tax preferred stocks that you're buying. And then once you max that out, then you can go back and finish your 401k. I've heard a lot of people do that. And I I think that's a great way to go about it. Of course, assuming that you're debt-free too. So, I mean, you could talk about debt too. But just on the investing side, that's that's a pretty good framework. And I, I don't see anything wrong with a framework like that. Are you do you are, are you familiar with I, I think that's a great framework too, by the way. Um, what are your thoughts on can you set up automatic contributions to a Roth or a traditional IRA from from like your checking account to your brokerage account? Yeah, totally. I know like for Fidelity as an example, it's really easy to open an account, by the way. Even if you feel like you don't know about Roth IRA or traditional IRA. You can go on Fidelity's website and click through their prompts and they make it super easy. And it's not, 
it's not like you have to take an IQ test or anything. It's it's pretty simple, and especially in today's age, they've made it so easy to do it online. It's kind of ridiculous, but you're able to do that, and then you link your account. Like I have Bank of America checking is one of mine, so it's all set up on there. You can sign into your B of A through Fidelity, and it's all linked up through all, whatever fintechs behind the scenes. Yeah, and then you can just set an automatic transfer. And I believe you could do it on either side. So either you can log into Fidelity, set an auto transfer there, or you can log into uh, your Bank of America as an example and set up an auto transfer there. Because I have other transfers that I set up in Bank of America that go to my daughter's 529, her college savings account. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've seen the option on Fidelity to do automatic withdrawals or automatic deposits, excuse me. So I know that's, definitely an option as well so yeah, yeah. I, I love that idea yeah no, that's, that's awesome the, the reason why i was thinking about that is because one of the advantages to a 401k is that it comes out of your paycheck and goes directly into the account and so there's not a lot of effort that needs to be made on our part to contribute to the 401k and so i was you know thinking about if you remove some of that friction if it could make it easier for people to invest in a brokerage account um to you know kind of set that pattern of of investing in yourself and treating it like a bill and you know it's money that you're gonna you need to spend uh, on this instead of you know the waiting to the end of the month air quote uh thing so okay uh, i guess the the last question that i have about this is is something that that i kind of mentioned so what what would you say to somebody that they're, they've been kind of following this plan of having uh, a 401k and, and matching as much as they can, but maybe over the over time, their company's stock overcomes the rest of the portfolio. In other words, let's say that they have 50k, like like Stash is saying, and 30 of it becomes one stock, and the other 20 is now in a basket of whatever funds that they're allowed to choose from. And how would you, how would you handle that? Would you be okay with that? Because, you know, the, the, the concern that I had when I was at Wells Fargo was that it started to become a bigger portion. Like my concentration was so much in the the company as opposed to, you know, my overall portfolio. And when the stock started to not do well, then my 401k went, you know, so, um, what are your thoughts on how to handle that? We've said this multiple times before, but in general, you want to try to diversify away from your employer for that exact reason. Not only does it make your 401k very volatile, but if that company goes under, you're out of a job and a 401k. Mm-hmm. So yes, you definitely want to try to diversify as much as you can away from your employer. That said though, like for example, for your Wells Fargo thing, were you able to, like, you were not able to sell the matched shares? So their four hundred one k match, they were giving you Wells Fargo shares, and you had to hold them. Was it for a certain amount of time? Yeah, they 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 would they would invest for I believe it was three years. So they were mine, and if I left the company, I wouldn't get them. But I was allowed to sell them, but at like a discount 
to whatever the price was that I that I bought them at. And as so like every year that escalator would would get closer to zero. So the first year was like I think fifty percent loss on the on the stock. And then the next year was twenty five. And then the last year there was no there was no escalator. So it was is but they did that to make sure that you stayed at the company to right. you know to make sure that you you know were able to benefit from those shares. So that was how they do that. I think that's a pretty common thing in, in the, it, at least in the banking world. So um, yeah, that's the way that they did it. And it, it, it forced my portion, that portion of my stock portfolio to just get bigger. Right. I mean, shame on them for not <laughs> matching and putting it in a responsible low cost index fund. Right. Right. I, so yes, it's, it's tough to be allocated really heavily to a stock or a company. And yes, you generally don't want that to happen, but I, I kind of bring it back to that same answer to this question from stash of almost like, think of that money as it's almost like you're, you're playing with the house's money where the alternative would have been, okay, because I don't want to be concentrated. I'm not going to, take advantage of the match and i think that would be silly i think you got to take advantage of the match and all right if if you're not so hot on the company itself fine maybe maybe there the stock stays flat or maybe it even goes down while the rest of the market goes up but remember you still made a hundred percent you doubled your money so even if the stock goes down a bit and the market keeps going higher you still came out way ahead of if you never did the match at all. So that's the way I would try to approach it and almost just look at that. I would probably just take that away from my allocation and the way I'm thinking about how diversified I am. Because again, it's the house's money. And obviously, yes, as soon as you can get it out, get it out. But until then, just let it ride and and don't stress about it and don't feel like you're being too risky because I don't think it is. It's It's just... You're just playing the cards that you were dealt, and those are good cards. Four hundred one k matches are awesome. Yeah, yeah, they are for for sure. They are, and I I agree that would that would that's great advice. And uh, I I talked to the financial advisor as well as some of the old more tenured people at the bank about that kind of problem, and that's exactly what they did. Was when the when their shares would match. They would sell them and either reinvest them in other funds in their 401k, or they would take the money out and put it in something else. Um, and preferably, they weren't reinvesting it back in a bank. <laughs> um, but uh, so, and that's how they and that's how they handled it uh, because what you know, like you said, it was you know, it was it was house money that you were playing with. So even though, and you know, the the benefit too. F- at least when I was at Wells was that they paid a dividend at the time. And so that, you know, you got, you got that other compounding too. So that was the nice thing about the hundred percent match is that I also got dividends that were, you know, growing on top of that as well. So that was kind of a nice little perk as well. So yeah, there, that, that, that's, that's great advice. Thank you didn't, for sharing. Didn't, didn't work to keep you uh, locked in with the company though. Huh? No, it did not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our conversation for this evening. I want to thank everybody for taking the time to send us those great questions. Those are really a lot of fun. And hopefully you guys learned a thing or two along the way. If you are uncertain about anything that we talked about are like, I don't know what that is. Check out our website, investingforbeginners.com. We have 
uh, literally a thousand articles or more on there uh, about investing. There's a great search bar at the top of the page that you can type in just about anything that we talked about today. And it could be a great encyclopedia for you to help you learn more about investing. And it's a great free resource for you. So please check it out. So without any further ado, I'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.